And Lord, we do agree with those prayers and do desire that uh, you do equip us and that we might be sensitive to what you are doing in the world. And we praise you for what you are doing. And this passage gives us insight into your focus at this time. We kind of lose sight of that. So we desire that it open our eyes to what you are doing and that we may be aligned with what you, in fact, have planned and what you envision, particularly in our individual situations that we might easily apply what you have here. So we commit our time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. In the passage that we're going to look at today, Paul in chapter 11 of the book of Romans is beginning to get into more of the positive aspect of Israel's failure. We've been focusing on their failure. And before I get into the the passage itself, let me read what God reveals to Jeremiah. And remember, Jeremiah was probably the darkest day in Israel's history. Now, I don't mean 24-hour period, but the darkest period in their, their history. Part of Jeremiah is written about the soon-coming Babylonian captivity, the destruction of the temple, destruction of the nation, the people going into exile. Everything is dark. Everything is over as far as Israel is concerned. They are done as a nation. And apart from what God has already revealed, there's really no future for the nation of Israel. So if you can picture yourself in that situation. But it's in that context where even part of Jeremiah is written during and after the exile. So people are experiencing the most hardship that they've ever seen in their life as a nation, even in their history. And it's in that context that Jeremiah is given a revelation from God concerning a new covenant. So Jeremiah 31, verse 31, Behold, days are coming, declare the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And at that time, remember, they were a divided kingdom. Israel to the north had already been uh, destroyed by the Assyrian Empire, and now the southern kingdom is about to be destroyed by the Babylonians. And verse 32, not like the covenant which I made with your fathers, that's the Mosaic covenant, in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. And then he gives some of the stipulations to the covenant. But skip down to verse 35. In this dark hour, the Lord says the following, to give assurance that Israel has a future. That's the focus of Romans chapter 11. And that's what Jeremiah is recording in verse 35. Thus says the Lord who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon, and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. In other words, the God who has sovereign control over the entire universe. The sun rises because God is maintaining this fixed order that he's referring to. 
the moon shines and the moon orbits according to God's sovereign plan, even the seas. And then notice what he says in verse 36. If this fixed order departs from before me, in other words, if the universe collapses, if molecules no longer have the bonding gravity within them to keep those electrons rotating and all the protons in place and all of the universe, if it this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then, in other words, just as the universe is stable and you can count on the sun rising and setting and all that we take for granted, then the offspring of Israel also shall cease from being a nation before me forever. In other words, as long as the sun is rising, Israel can plan and look ahead to a restoration. And that's what Will the, you give that reference again, Ray? It's Jeremiah 31, beginning in 31 through 36. A great promise. And we've been looking at other ones, but uh, this one is kind of interesting because it deals with science and the natural realm and something you can see every day. So just as you can uh, kind of be assured that the stars are going to shine, in fact, you can see Jupiter and Saturn right now at about 10 o'clock, and you can see Mars. Mars comes over the hill there. And just as certain as not only heavenly bodies, but everything on earth continue under God's sovereign hand, Israel can look forward to always having a relationship with God. Now, we've been looking at Romans and one of the clearest passages that refers to the audience is verse 13, where he talks about the Gentiles who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he distinguishes them from the Jewish believers that lived in the city of Rome. So we've talked a lot about the background and the audience. So this is written to believers so that they can better be prepared to minister in Rome. And again, I've gone over this so many times, uh, you're probably bored with it, and you are probably turn your minds off, but it's good to give the context. We've seen that God has worked sovereignly in Israel from the very, very beginning, particularly in choosing, and he lays that out to tell us that he can sovereignly choose whoever, and he has chosen, you might even say, to work through a different group now, other than Israel, and the only thing other than Israel are the nations or Gentiles. So God has worked this way in the past, and now this is what he's doing in the first century, because Israel has now been set aside, and we're going to look at another passage that uh, indicates that as well. Several passages we've worked our way through. I'll remind you of some of them. So Israel as God's primary instrument, is rejected. Israel, as a nation, corporately is under discipline, but that's not the end, as Jeremiah in the New Covenant assures. And remember, the New Covenant was future from uh, Jeremiah's day, and I think the fulfillment of it is even future from our day as well. But there will be a day when Israel will be restored, in fact, the implementation 
of the new covenant is what chapter 11 is all about, when Israel will in fact be regenerated, will be saved, there'll be a salvation, and it'll be a broad salvation that uh, includes physical deliverance as well in a future period. So that's kind of the outline of what we're looking at in chart form. So the context that we've been looking at, uh, particularly in chapter 11, first six verses, there's still a remnant, and God has always worked through a remnant. And we saw that in the first six verses there, and we reviewed the whole concept of a remnant and saw that uh, in God's dealing, there's always been a remnant, and it seems like there's always the few that are the faithful, the few that are regenerate, the few that, in fact, are part of what God is doing. So there's always a remnant in Israel, and there's a remnant in the first century. That's the point that Paul is making. So Israel has not been totally abandoned because Paul himself is an example, and there's also a remnant in the first century that Paul is a part of. And we concluded last time, the rest of Israel is hardened, verses 7 through 10. And it's kind of a dreadful description. We went over some of it quickly. We won't go back over it. You can review it. But we've hit a lot of those high points already anyway, so it's more of a reminder. And that brings us to uh, what Paul is dealing in chapters 9 through 11, the blue circle represents all Israel, ethnic Israel, national Israel, you might even say corporate Israel. And even in uh, chapter 9, verse 6, he talks about a group. This is the remnant that he talks about in 11 that he, we could describe as true Israel. They're the true children of God, the children of promise, and there's always been that remnant. So he's not dealing necessarily with Gentiles. Now, he's going to talk about them in chapter 9, 24 through 30. He's going to refer to them again in verse 13 of the uh, chapter 11 that we're looking at now. But the main focus is Israel, corporate, national, ethnic Israel, and then within it, a small group. So all Israel, true Israel, in verse 7, he calls them the elect or the chosen. And he also, in verse 7, refers to the others, the rest, are hardened. So the small group are chosen, and the the rest of Israel are hardened, and then he describes them. And not only does he describe them, but he goes to the Old Testament to prove that this is prophetic, that uh, God has already told the nation of Israel that uh, there will be a hardening that takes place as a result of them resisting the Messiah. So the question in the context that we've been looking at is God finished with Israel. In other words, is it over? Is it done? And in some ways, it's like Jeremiah's day. The nation will once again be destroyed. Now, when Romans was written, 70 AD had not taken place. The judgment and the destruction of the nation and the temple, that had not happened yet. So Paul is going to answer this question. So there's dreadful days ahead still, but that does not mean that God is finished with Israel. And that's what chapter 11 is all about. So chapter 11 deals with the future restoration of Israel. We saw that there's always a remnant. 
So God does not ever reject entirely all of Israel, so a portion remains always. And uh, beginning in verse 11 through perhaps 32, uh, I may break this into two parts, but the way I've got it outlined now describes the future restoration. And this chapter is going to explain, much like Jeremiah did, that there's a plan, there's a purpose, there's a future covenant, the new covenant. This passage, beginning in verse 11 through 16, lays out the purpose or the purposes of Israel's failure. Even in the midst of the failure of the nation of Israel, God's plan is not thwarted. This is not plan B. Paul is going to quote some scriptures even, and already has, to show that God all along envisioned Israel's failure, and in fact, will use it, and uh, part of it will deal with those outside of Israel. But that plan also includes a restoration of Israel. So this is a glorious passage. Uh, It's unfortunate that it's unfamiliar and that somewhat neglected, because it it is a, a magnificent passage, not just for the nation of Israel, but uh, for all nations, for Gentiles, and from our perspective, for the church age. So he's going to lay out the purposes in verses 11 and 12, and that's probably as far as we'll get today, the purposes of Israel's rejection. And there are several of them, three major ones, but there's some others that are associated with it. Uh, Some of them are related to these three major ones, but we'll look at them. So let's take a look at verse 11 first, where he introduces the passage with the the possibilities as a result of this transgression that he's going to refer to. And in verse 11, I say then, now it's very similar to verse 1, so he's kind of dealing with the same issues concerning Israel's rejection and in that passage, we saw that the, the rejection is not a total rejection because there's always a remnant that is present. And now, beginning in verse 11, that restoration is yet future, so therefore it's not a permanent rejection. So I say then, and he's going to add to that, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? Now, he asked a question in verse 1 as well that expects a negative answer. And here in verse 11, he asks another question, and it's framed in the same way in the Greek text. It expects a negative answer, and you expect the same even from the English text. So, they did not stumble, so as to fall, did they? He asks the question. Now, this reminds us and uh, reminds us of a lot of words that Paul has already used. I'll call it terms here. And we already saw one word for stumbling. And by the way, this word is different than uh, the one that we have here. Would somebody read? I'll have some of you read some of these passages. Somebody be ready to, to read 932 where, remember, in chapter 9, he's talking about God working with a new group 
And the explanation is because Israel has stumbled over the stumbling block. Different word. The word that he uses there is uh, proskopto. Has the idea of to strike against something or strike against. Or even the idea of to collide into something. To crash, you might even say. Would somebody read uh, 932 for us? Don't be shy. I got it. Go ahead. Romans 9.32. Somebody be ready to read 10.16 10, 10, after Katie reads 32. And you might as well read 33. Go ahead, Katie. Okay. 9.32. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. Now, who's the they? But as though it... Who's the they? Somebody? Israel. Yep. That's the context. Good. Keep reading, Katie. But as though it were by works, they stumbled over the stumbling stone. Just as it is written, behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And he who believes in him will not be disappointed. Who's the stumbling stone? Jesus. Yep, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah in this context, and they stumbled over him. It's kind of an allusion to rejecting him, basically. So we have that. Now, we've had a series of other descriptions that describe Israel's failure, you might say. Somebody read 1016 because it talks about them not obeying a clear message that God has revealed. Remember, this is in the context of that very well-known passage, for with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness, with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation, etc. Remember, we explained the context. And then in verse 16, referring to they again, you got to keep track of who the they and the them refer to. Again, the context is Israel. Somebody read 1016. I have that. Go ahead. Go ahead, Mary But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? Okay. They have not obeyed. So he's using kind of another term to describe Israel. They've stumbled. They did not obey. And who was that, Linda? Were you going to read? Why don't you read verse 21? Because it describes them. Very blatantly. In fact, you ought to read uh, 19 through 21. All right. 19. But I say, surely Israel did not know, did they? First Moses says, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation. By a nation without understanding will I anger you. And Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I became manifest to those who did not ask for me. But as for Israel, he says, all the day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. Okay, there you have some more descriptive words. Disobedient and obstinate. And in the context, he's describing their depravity and the reasons why they are set aside. And in that context, 19, he identifies them clearly, Israel, and what he's going to do. He lays out a plan. In fact, he's going to repeat this idea 
of making them jealous in the passage that we're looking at in verse 11. So last time we looked at another descriptive passage, 7 through 10. We won't read it because we just were reminded of it, but it also describes their their depravity, where it uses the word hardened in verse 7, and then he describes the hardening. And again, he quotes out of the Old Testament. In chapter 10, he quotes from Moses. In verse 19, he quotes from Isaiah. In verse 20, and uh, then 8, 8 through 10, he's quoting out of Isaiah and out of Psalm 69, and probably an allusion to Deuteronomy as well. So all of this, even before, particularly the Deuteronomy passage, even before they're even a nation, God has promised what is going to happen to the nation of Israel. They are a rebellious people that will end up hardened. In fact, there's been hardening throughout their their history. A lot of descriptive terms to describe Israel. They've stumbled, they did not obey, they've been disobedient, they've been obstinate with lots of other descriptive phrases. They've been hardened. So that brings us to the question, have they been abandoned totally? Paul's going to answer that. In this context, we have the word uh, stumble. I say then they did not stumble. This is a different word. Notice the different Greek words. I've got them compared there on the slide there. This idea, the one above, is more of a severe term. In in other words, it's one where you collide and uh, are knocked over. You may not even recover, stumbled. This one is just simply to, to trip or to stumble. And you may not even fall. That's why we have the next phrase there. Is there stumbling for the purpose of falling. And by the way, there's a purpose clause in there. New American Standard says, so as, in the Greek text, it's clearly, it's a hina clause, which is a generally a purpose clause. In other words, did they stumble, did they trip, in order that they would be irreversibly ruined or irrecoverably able to get back up? And obviously, the answer there is absolutely not. So here's your Greek words and the meanings, the basic meanings of some of them. Two different words put side by side. One referring to all that we've talked about, the stumbling, the disobedience, the not obeying, the obstinance, the hardening, all summarized in this stumbling such that there's no recovery. It's irreversible. And obviously, he gives the emphatic, and we've been saying, as we've seen it throughout the book of Romans, the most emphatic way in the Greek language to negate something, may it never be, or absolutely not, totally impossible. In fact, there's many phrases that we've used before to describe what Paul is saying here. So not only is the question phrased in such a way that a negative answer is expected But uh, in the most emphatic way, he says, absolutely not. And now we have the beginning of the bright picture of the future of the nation of Israel. And Paul gives us an insight into what he is doing amongst the nation 
of Israel. But uh, before we've got that, I've got a series of slides here that are going to lay out many purposes. And from the negative perspective, we can already see that the rejection of Israel, the fall or the stumbling of Israel is not a permanent rejection. That's from the first question that we have in verse 11. And then we're going to have a series of other purposes that are laid out in verse 11 and in verse 12, and they're going to be expanded upon in verse 15. We won't get that far today. In fact, hopefully we'll get through verse verse 12. So the purposes of Israel's rejection, verses 11 through 12, we just looked at the possibilities of the transgression. Is it a total ruin? And the answer is absolutely not. But in fact, God is going to use it and he's going to use Israel's transgression for some wonderful things. Some of those things have already been unfolding 2,000 years for 2,000 years. We call that the church age. Now, he doesn't mention the church, but that's something of what he's alluding to. So let's look at the first positive purpose And that's summarized in the next part of the verse. But by their transgression, what's their transgression? This is Israel. Keep it, keep track. Uh, They is Israel. They did not. Their lack of belief. Their failure to trust in Messiah, exactly. The they refers to Israel. The context refers to Israel. And by their transgression, Israel's rejection, not only of Messiah, but their whole history of rejecting God's will, God's plan, all of the hardening that they've experienced in the past as well. So no matter what Israel would do, God is going to use that. And we've seen over and over in scripture, God transforms the sin of man or he can transform it. And in this case, he transforms the transgression of Israel into a positive, a blessing for others. But by the transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles. There would be no church. There would be no church age. Well, we're speculating, but I think it's all part of a big plan. But theoretically, Had Israel not transgressed, had Israel not rejected their Messiah, and had, in in fact, fulfilled what God gave them as a privilege, had Israel reached out to the Gentiles and brought them in, there conceivably, and again, speculatively, there would be no 2,000-year church age. There might be an age Or you might expect that a millennial kingdom might be established right after the coming of Messiah and the acceptance. Now, Messiah would still have to die in order to to be the sacrifice, the one and only sacrifice for sin. But the Roman Empire would have made sure that happened. So he would still have died, risen from the dead. And in fact, he would have ascended and he would have departed and returned, and perhaps the kingdom established. But in spite of that, God is still going to reach out to the Gentiles, and now he's going to do it in a different way. 
So the purpose of the transgression is to open up opportunity. Salvation has come to the Gentiles. So here we have what we see unfolded in the first century, where God works first through the Jew, and then he goes out to the Gentiles. I've got a series of passages here, just in, I think most of you are very familiar with them, so I don't want to, I won't look up all of them, but there's a few here that I want you to kind of, kind of see. I'll skip over some of them. You can write them down for your notes. Those of you that are taking notes, virtually all of you. But uh, we saw it in the life of Christ. Even Jesus gives us hints of this broader plan that God had all along, and now you see it worked out, and Paul is clearly, I think, alluding to what God is doing in the first century. First of all, would somebody read Matthew 8? Somebody was ready to read there. I don't know. Was that you, uh, Denise or David? Denise, you have that. Can you look up Matthew 8 real quick? And why don't yeah, she, she's flipping to Matthew 8 right now. Okay. David, why don't you turn, I don't have it on the screen there, but turn to Acts 14, if you will. Be ready to read Acts 14. And notice uh, 8, 11, and 12. And these are, in my Bible, they're red. So that means Jesus is speaking. Oh, yes. Are you ready for? Go ahead. Okay. I say to you that many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Okay, he's talking. Let me interrupt you. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven. He's predicting something. Where are they going to come from? From the east and the west. What does that refer to? Is that Israel? Everywhere else. Everywhere else. East of Israel, west of Israel. Remember, geography generally in the, in the Gospels and Acts is with respect to the, the land of Israel. Now read the next verse. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into the outer darkness. Wow. Who are the sons of the kingdom? Israel. Jewish people, the, the nation of Israel. Not entirely, but he's talking about those that are hardened, those that are resistant, those that have transgressed. Those that have rejected the Messiah, they will be cast out of the kingdom and there'll be others outside of Israel that come. Now, we won't read 2143, uh, but I'd like for all of you to turn to the uh, chapter 22 because we have a long paragraph that describes from Jesus's perspective, it's a prophecy, but it unfolded in the first century. And this is what Paul is talking about in the book of Romans. So Matthew 22, this is a parable. In verse one, and Jesus answered and spoke to them again in parables saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. So we have a king, it's a parable about a king and a wedding feast. That's the imagery. The wedding feast represents the kingdom. The king represents the Messiah or Jesus himself. And he sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast, and they were unwilling to come. Who are those that are invited? The Jews. Israel, Israel the Jewish people. 
And again, he sent out other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fattened livestock are all butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But what happens? Verse 5. But they paid no attention. Is that a description of the Jewish leadership in the first century? And many Jews followed. They paid no attention and went their way. One to his own farm, another to his business. They carried on just normal activity here, paid no attention. And then verse 6, and the rest, in other words, here's others, Jewish people. The rest seized his slaves and mistreated them and killed them. Who are the slaves in this imagery here? The prophets. Prophets, very good. But the king, verse 7, but the king was enraged and sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. Now that's prophetic. That's going to come in 70 AD. It had not happened yet. The fire and the destruction. Verse 8, then he said to his slaves, remember this is a parable. The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. The nation The hardened, remember there's a remnant still, but the hardened are not worthy. Go therefore, and where are they to go? Go therefore to the main highways, and as many as you find there, invite to the wedding feast, going outside of those that were invited. In other words, non-Jewish people, Gentiles. And those slaves went out into the streets and gathered together all they found, both evil and good. And the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. And then the parable goes on and talks some more. So we have a very clear, not only prophetic, but a clear description of the first century situation, even from the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ, where when Israel rejects the kingdom and the king, primarily, when they reject the king, the message And the invitation is going to go out to those that are not invited. What he's talking about is Gentiles. We see this in the early church as well. David, do you want to read Acts 14.46? 14.46? Mm-hmm. I meant Acts 14. 46. You might have to turn the page. Yeah. I don't have it. I have it. It goes... I'm at Blue Letter Bible, goes to 28 and stops. Do I have it misquoted there? Skip to 18.6 then. I might have it misquoted there. Okay, 18.6 I've got. And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment, said unto them, Your blood be on your own heads. I'm clean. Henceforth I will go into the Gentiles. Okay. Basically, he has addressed a Jewish audience and shakes the dust off to his feet because they've rejected the gospel message, and now he goes to the Gentiles. You have the same thing in Acts 14. If that's the correct one, I'll have to check that. And you have the same thing in Acts 28, 23. In fact, this is the conclusion. In fact, why don't you skip to that one? That one is very, very clear. Which one is Beginning in verse 23, 28, 23. Ray, I think you meant Acts 13.46. There we go. (laughs) 13.46. All right, let's go with Acts 28. And when they appointed him a day, there came many into into his lodging, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, 
both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets from morning till evening. Okay, keep reading. And some believed the things which were spoken, and some believed not. Go ahead, keep on. When they agreed not amongst themselves, they departed. And after Paul had spoken one word, well spake the Holy Ghost by Esaias the prophet unto our fathers, saying, Go unto this people, and say, Hearing shall ye hear, and not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and not perceive. So he's quoting Isaiah and basically showing the rejection of Israel. And notice then at the end, verse 28. Keep reading 28. 28. Uh, let me include 27? No, 28. Skip okay, 28. Be it known therefore unto you that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles and that they will hear it. Okay. So we have lots of examples and there's others as well. Uh, the gospel going to the Jews first, Messiah offering the kingdom to the Jews first when they rejected. We have the parable and the other passages where it's going to go out to the Gentiles. So very clear. And we won't read 1 Thessalonians 2, 15 and 16, but it echoes the same thing in Paul. And in uh, the Romans passage, notice what he's going to say at verse 25, and I'll just read it, and then we'll go on. In verse 25, for I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, lest you be wise in your own estimation, that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. We're living in that period of time where the fullness of the Gentiles has not been completed yet. We may be close to the end of it, and the next passage is going to talk about Israel being saved. So this is typical of what God has done in the first century, and it tells us that God is going beyond Israel because Israel has transgressed and that's what is in view in this passage. The transgression is the rejecting of the Messiah. And then we have these glorious terms also in that passage, salvation, soteria, soteria. That's that broad salvation. And in Romans, look at it very broadly. He's not talking about justification by faith, not necessarily that initial salvation, but look at it in a more broad sense somewhat like the package of salvation that includes living the life and the blessings that come with it, and even beyond that. That's the term that is used here. So we have a purpose that uh, this passage tells us. The purpose of Israel's failure is salvation of the Gentiles. Now, they were going to be saved regardless, or there was going to be opportunity. He's not talking about every Gentile, but the, the gospel message will go out, and they will hear it, and there'll be a response. In fact, a large response amongst the Gentiles. The salvation is one of the purposes for all of this. So this is all part of a sovereign plan. And then we have the last part of verse 11, to make them jealous. Now. I asked a question in the email. What is a little known or little emphasized purpose of the church and the church age? Now, the church is not mentioned here, but I think this kind of lays out one 
of the purposes of, of uh, believers in the uh, church age and the church itself is to live in such a way that Jewish people want what we have. In other words, make them jealous. And this is probably the way that we can apply this passage and think in terms of, well, broadly, we can see that the church has failed miserably throughout its history. In fact, the church has built many obstacles to Jewish evangelism and the outreach to Jewish people. The church has been one of the main persecutors of the nation of Israel and has failed miserably. Jewish people see nothing historically in the church that would give them a desire to have what believers have. So the application that we could draw today is, am I as an individual living in such a way that Jewish people, if they encounter us, are saying there's something different there. There's, there's something that is unexplainable apart from God's regenerating work. I want that. Uh, that's attractive. That is, that is something that I don't have. I, I want it. So that's the answer to the question that I sent out. What is the, or a purpose of the church today? I think it's to reach out to Jewish people and because of the history that the church has had, the, the words that come out of our mouth when we talk about Jesus and we talk about him, all they can think of is in Jesus' name, the church in the past has been anti-Semitic. So they need to probably more than ever before see the living out of regeneration, and that will create in them a desire. How, how do I get that kind of a life? And that might open doors for evangelism to Jewish people today. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Start with uh, Katie. Ladies first. Oh, thank you. I, just a quick comment. Um, I'm thinking that what came to my mind was all of the crazy cults that have, you know, like spinoffs of Christianity who add works, either front loading or back loading the gospel with works um, that does not make, you know, other people, unbelievers attracted to Christianity. And it's frustrating to have these spinoffs that are confusing Jewish people um, because they're not getting a clear picture of, you know, Christianity. So I think what you're saying is it's so important that we constantly remember that it's not about works. It's finished with Christ and that we need to represent that to, um, to the Jewish people. Uh, unbelievers exactly. so that they can see that it, it really isn't about what we can do or not do. It's about what was finished at the cross. Do I hear any amens? Nate, you were, Amen. go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I would um, agree with everything that, that you uh, said as far as the failure of the their church on a broad scale. On the other hand, a, a little, a beacon of, of light or a comment from the 
from the other side would be, for example, just this week I read in Christian Headline News about Israel Allies Foundation, and they published a list of the top 50, well, it was a, a list of the top 50 Christian allies, but I think if, you, if you're in, you know, just think about the, the scene today that many within Israel would say that their top friends and supporters are within at least the evangelical community. Because you look at that list, you know, it has Billy Graham and different people, or Franklin Graham, sorry. And um, and so I just, I bet it really stands out to them. Why is it that this segment of Christianity is so pro-Israel? And um, so I think there is, a, that they do surely take note of at least a certain segment of Christianity that is very in favor of the Jewish people. And they might be asking themselves, why is that? And that might be drawing them towards Christ. Yeah, and I think that's think? that's that's one way that we as believers can, in fact, have an impact in in the support of Israel. In right. all, can in I all say ways. something? Go ahead. Uh, I also see in this whole thing a huge parallel of the Christian Church to the Jewish community to the Jewish history as well, because the Church has been hard-necked, rebellious, and stubborn. And I see that all of this will be proving that it is God alone, those believers who trusted God rather than trusting their own religious practices, religiosity, the Christians who trust in the, the work of Jesus and the Holy Spirit working in their lives as opposed to trusting our own religiosity, our own particular creeds, this is going to be proclaiming an amazing work of God because a Christian who is not led by the Holy Spirit uh, is no better than any of the Jews who simply did their own thing, living under the blanket of God's protection and doing whatever they wanted. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Also, this issue of the of um, sponsoring jealousy and the Jews is a call to us individually to build friendships with Jews. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And this jealousy is a positive thing in this context. In other words, something that uh, Jews would want. Remember, the word is used of God himself. So there's a positive aspect to it. And all of the things that you've said, uh, I think, describe this positive aspect. And I think the main thing is just living in the power of the Holy Spirit. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, etc. When uh, any unbeliever, particularly Jewish people, see that in us, it should uh, stir within them something that causes them to desire to, to find out at least what's, what's different about that person. So very good. Well, our time is up, and we made it through one verse. Can you imagine that? Let me just read uh, verse 12, and then if you have some more comments, you can comment. Because he's going to expand upon it. Now, if their transgression is riches for the world. In other words, Israel's transgression is going to bless the whole world. So now he's encompassing, and more specifically, not just a handful of Jewish people, but it's going to enrich the whole world, and their failure is riches for the Gentiles, 
he's arguing from the lesser to the greater, how much more will their fulfillment? And he's going to talk about that in many of the following passages when all of Israel will be saved. How much more blessing will be bestowed on the world? And you can look back at 2,000 years of church age, a lot of dark times, but there's also been a lot of blessings that God has poured out on the whole world, basically. So if their transgression is riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fulfillment. Any other comments before we... Ray, may I say something? Yes. It's my understanding that it's the Spirit of the Lord that draws someone to himself. But we are the spokespeople now for the Word of God being filled with his Spirit. It's not us. It's the Spirit of God. So if we as Christians refuse to witness to a Jew, then we are committing the worst kind of anti-Semiticism. That's a good comment. Yes. And we should seek out and uh, when we have opportunity to be able to live the life first, to open up the doors. Very good. So closing thought, God is absolutely sovereign in all things. And I like to think of him as multitasking. So even in the midst of dealing with Israel, he is also thinking in terms of the whole world. And he's drawing people to himself, no matter how Israel responds. And camping on what Denise just said, if we fail, no matter, God is going to reach people around us, and some may come to him in spite of our failure to share the gospel with him. So he is absolutely sovereign, and we can take great comfort in that. Any other comments? Yeah, could we change that word multitasking to omnitasking, just kind of like omnipresence and omnipotent, and anyway, just play on words. Yes, sir, we will do it. (laughs) Well, Jeff, since your mic is open, you have to close for us. Well, I just took my finger off of the pause button. Here we go. (laughs) Father, we're magnificently blessed by your choosing us, by the way you work in us and through us, and grow us up in Christlikeness. We ask that you would give us opportunity this week to be witnesses in our actions and our words to those around us. Thank you again, Father, for this opportunity to be together. We ask that you would bless Ray in his upcoming trip. Uh, in his opportunities to work with the pre-trib group as well as uh, perhaps preach down in Dr. Dean's church. We praise you and glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen. There you go, Jeff. All right. (laughs) (laughs) See, I can multitask God as well. (laughs) Looks to me like you were working through the prayer. (laughs) No, I was multitasking. I was praying. Okay, let's have uh, the Watkins at this time introduce themselves, and then we'll... I'm, uh, my name is Mark Watkins, and this is my wife, Jenny. Uh, we traveled with uh, uh, Ray and his crew to uh, Israel two, two times, and uh, so that's how we kind of know of Ray and stuff. But uh, last week, I, I mentioned that 
I could go through the entire life of Mark Watkins uh, in five minutes, the, the same way uh, Ray does the entire Bible in two hours or something. And, um, uh, you know, this sort of all ad hoc, so it's not like I practiced this or wrote anything down. Um, probably Ray can go through the Bible without writing too much down, too, because he's done it a few times. But I like to say when uh, when I start off on my uh, life is to say I was born at a very early age, and my earliest recollect recollection that I can close my eyes and dream back on is uh, I remember uh, beating my diapers on a rock in in uh, Rio Grande as a child. So that's kind of early start off <laughs> jenny um abandoned me and she's not here to help feed in on whether it's the truth or not she's went off to go answer a phone call so it's, that's pretty uh, scary as far as uh, not having my my help here for me but uh when she comes back you can offer her a happy birthday because today is her birthday wow and we're, we're not uh, uh we're not disclosing uh much about her age or anything, but that's appropriate. <clears throat> Anyways, um, Grace Church and the church that I was raised in, Alameda Bible Church, are uh, kind of like sister churches from way back. Uh, the Shepherdsons attended Alameda Bible Church years ago, and Edwin was uh, uh, kind of a youth pastor whenever I was growing up. So um, Grace Church and Alameda Church had a lot of missionaries that uh, ran together, and I was, uh, you know, we had because some of our missionaries men to visit with us would also um, would also be visiting with the people at Grace Church, and consequently, since we're so old, uh, a lot of those missionaries that we started supporting way back are not even with us anymore. <laughs> so, uh, so this is kind of the way our, our church affiliation, uh, runs together between the Grace Church and, and Alameda Bible Church. So, um, that's where I was raised was in, um, uh, Alameda Bible Church and, and I'm still going over there. The, the COVID issue has cut into the churches really bad. You can see that there's a lot of issues with, uh, uh, people attending or wanting to attend and along with that there's you know financial issues that come along in the church and every kind of thing and uh, that's what we're working on in the church and this format i can remember back when we first got sequestered here into having to do virtual things and you know how people have gotten much more comfortable uh under this format but anyways this is kind of where jenny and i uh came along so here she is she decided to come back she didn't leave us after all but i said happy birthday so uh, <laughs> you can wish her a happy birthday today birthday jenny <laughs> thank you thank you <laughs> jenny and i have been married since 1978 and so that gives you some idea where things are at we live here in Albuquerque and have uh, uh, a house that's regularly visited by our kids and grandkids and 
and that's mostly what we're doing. Uh, we're retired. So I'm a retired plumbing contractor and Jenny's a retired plumbing contractor wife <laughs> <laughs> and also a nurse and, and a help me and a really good cook. <laughs> so anything else you want to add, Jenny? Um, just want to say, I appreciate Ray, you, what you, what you're doing and, um, Thanks for the times we had in Israel, and if you, if any of you out there haven't gone, um, and he put something else together, I highly recommend it. It's a wonderful way to just re really connect with the Bible. So, thank you, Ray. Well, thank you. You might mention uh, the group knows your daughter probably better than they know you guys. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, our daughter is Amanda Watkins, and. Uh, she used to be, through, she used yeah, to be part of our nursing, class. Yeah, all through nursing school and what have you. She uh, <clears throat> she went and attended Ray's class and a lot of his uh, uh, people there that regularly go to his class and knew of Amanda. And uh, Amanda's the one that said, you know, Ray's putting together a group to go into Israel and, and uh, probably should uh, look into that and Jenny says I always wanted to do that kind of thing so uh, that's why we uh, started going to his classes to uh, prepare for going to Israel and it's been a great blessing for us to be able to do that kind of stuff and not only that this last trip our pastor and the Bible teacher from our school uh, also went uh, went with us so we had a pretty good representation there for <laughs> from our bunch that uh, that we enjoyed being there. So good. Well, let's. If uh, there are any questions about that early age stuff or anything, uh, <laughs> that's yeah. that's really about all I have, you know, but of my memories. Great. Thank you. Any questions? Yeah, Mark. What kind of rock was it that you used to beat your diapers on? That's very simple. It's a very simple question, and I even knew the answer of that. It was a river rock. <laughs> okay. <laughs> She's laughing. What other kind of rocks are you going to find? <laughs> there is such rich geology here in New Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Happy birthday, Jenny. I hope you two are doing something fun. Mm -hmm. This is Janie. <laughs> Thank you, Janie. Thanks for Thank you, Jamie. <laughs> well, it's yeah, my girls are coming. Over. Your girls are coming. Our town girls are coming over, and that's what. Uh, the other thing is, is we were blessed with three grandkids just during the, uh, the year twenty twenty. So uh, we've had a lot of rough things that's gone on with uh, uh, with uh, the year twenty twenty, and as you all know, but uh, but we also got three new grandbabies to keep us uh, occupied. So. Uh, that's kind of not all from the same mother. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone wanted to say goodbye this week. Oh, there they are. Bye. 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 Have a good week. Bye, everyone. See ya. Thank you, Watkins. Thank you. Happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you so much. Everybody. Everyone, have a good week. Yes. Okay. 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 Bye. Bye, guys.